we have read the text uh, this morning, uh, but I would like to read uh, the text again, if you don't mind, uh, simply for my own good, so I can get in the mindset of the Word of God here this morning. Um, the subject this morning is despair. Psalm 73, verses 25, we ask you, Lord, to please inspire it to our hearts. It is the inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word of God, and we ask you, Father, to help us to understand it as we walk these things out in real life. We pray these things in Jesus' blessed name, amen. I don't know how many of you have had the opportunity to read a very famous book. It's called Pilgrim's Progress. And there are two main characters, and one is Christian, and the other is hopeful. And they get off the path as they're wandering around, and the night comes, and they get lost and are captured by a great big terrible giant. And the giant's name is Giant Despair. And he takes Christian and hopeful to his castle. If you've read this classic, do you remember the name of the castle? It's called Doubting Castle. Once in Doubting Castle, giant despair throws Christian and hopeful in the dungeon without food and water. Every day he comes and he beats them with a club made of a crab apple tree. And he says, look over at the bones that are in the corner of that dungeon. You will soon be over there. Your bones will join those bones. Now, if you know anything about John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, then you know that this part of the story is rather autobiographical. Bunyan was a Christian who dealt with despair. And great doubts in his life. In fact, there are many here today who most likely have dealt with the same feelings. Well, while many people like to think that Christianity is nothing but happy thoughts, the Bible actually explores a number of negative human emotions, many of which are common even to the Christian life. And here in Psalm 73, we find the destructive emotion of despair. Psalm 73 is written by Asaph, one of the three Levites commissioned by David to lead singing in the house of God. Imagine that you're up front leading in the house of God and you're suffering from despair and yet you've got to put on that happy face to go in front of the people of God to lead in the worship. In God's holy place. But inside, you're dying. Something is terribly wrong with you. Well, what exactly is despair? Despair can show itself in many ways, but fundamentally, it's wanting to give up. It's wanting to lose heart. Verse 21 says this, When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within. In the original Hebrew, the word translated pierced means to sharpen. In its positive sense, it means to teach the word of God very sharply and accurately. But in its negative connotation, it's used to describe a man whose heart 
is so overwhelmed with anguish and despair, it's as if his heart is shot full of arrows. Every move that he makes is painful. Every thought that goes through his mind is offset by the pain, the sharp pain in his heart. Despair can also happen for many reasons. In Asaph's case, his despair was the result of the immense contrast he saw between the struggle of the believers and the success of the godless. In verse 3, he says this, For I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You think you're doing everything right. You're a Christian. Asaph can't understand why those he leads in worship seem to relish in the promises of God, yet he, a leader in the house of God, cannot seem to put one finger on one promise of God. In verses 1 and 2, this is the way the psalm opens. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. My brothers and sisters are doing just great. They're on top of the world. They seem to be collecting the promises of God just the way I'm collecting arrows in my heart. And then he goes on, But as for me, but as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. The phrase, my steps had almost slipped, is a Hebrew idiom of the day which refers to one whose life has taken such a nosedive, he has begun to question even the goodness of God. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. This is the truth. This is the fact. This ought to be happening in my life. But guess what? It's not. What's the deal? But again, there can be other reasons to despair. In Psalm 40, David compares his life to being at the bottom of a great pit with a raging storm at the bottom. Psalm 22, a psalm of lament, speaks of how David's physical and emotional pain literally drove him to feel abandoned by God. It's not all happy thoughts, is it? Perhaps in your own life, some beautiful thing or special person was lost either through a series of missteps in someone else's life or perhaps in your own life. And so, you despair. Well, some Christians have never experienced despair. Perhaps some of you here this morning have never experienced this particular emotion and praise the Lord for that. But even if this particular struggle has missed you, uh, just wait. Give it a little bit of time. Giant despair is not far from each one of us. So let's see if we can get a little bit more of a handle 
on this particular problem and especially its answer and helpful toward this end is verse 26. I read it this morning. It's been read twice. I'd like to begin the opening section of this verse. It says, my flesh and my heart may fail. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to take a look at this verse in three parts. My flesh, my heart may fail. Let's begin with my flesh. Why in the world does the psalmist mention his flesh in light of a struggle with despair? It's because there's a physical component to despair. Despair weakens the body. It wears you out. You feel fatigued. You feel listless. You feel sluggish. In Psalm 42, verse 10, we see the physical effects of emotional stress. As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. The psalmist is saying that there's an emotional stress, a weariness that goes all the way down to the bones. Have you ever felt like this? You're so worn out, it feels like it's gone all the way down to your core. There's a sadness that just eats you on the inside. In fact, despair and all of its accompanying emotions can, in fact, lead to death. Recently, I learned that there's a number of threads in the physical heart. They're called leads. When a person experiences prolonged sadness, for example, these threads can be cut off, causing blood clots and even other life-threatening problems. Now, you've heard the old saying, she died of a broken heart. I used to think that that was just a metaphor. Well, guess what? It's not. Emotional stress prolonged over a very long period of time can actually affect the physical heart, the leads, as doctors and medical professionals call it. Not long ago, Carrie Fisher died unexpectedly, the actress. Not long ago, her mother, Debbie Reynolds, passed right afterwards. News reports said that she was so overwhelmed with grief that she died of a broken heart. I wonder how many of us this morning are affecting the leads in our hearts. If you hang on to it long enough, it's going to kill you. Well, this raises a question. Is despair sin? No. To feel despair is not sin. What is sin is to make peace with despair. In fact, we must be careful because the main way a broken spiritual heart can affect one's physical heart is by becoming addicted to despair. Because if you don't detach from despair, it becomes like a drug. Odd though this may sound, despair is where many people find a refuge from despair. Sometimes a good depression can feel good. It's where you go for your refuge. 
And the cycle begins to continue and continue and it gets faster and faster and tighter and tighter until finally those leads begin to snap and to break and eventually you are facing the bones that are over there in Doubting Castle. And he's got his long crooked finger pointed over there and he's saying, you're about to go over there, my friend. Then the psalmist says, and my heart, we just looked at the correlation between the spiritual and the physical heart in despair. So it ought to come as no surprise that the spiritual heart is mentioned next. When experiencing despair, our hearts, and here that means our spirit, our spiritual man. The spirits within us are discouraged, they're gloomy, they're burned out. Remember our definition of despair. It's a desire to give up, to lose heart. I think I have been at this place two dozen times in the decades that I've been in ministry. Maybe the same has happened to you. Giant despair is beating you with his crab apple club, and so he points that long crooked finger over there in the corner of Doubting Castle, and he says... There isn't a way out of this vicious cycle that just gets faster and faster and tighter and tighter. Your bones are about to be in that old pile of bones right over there. So we put our face in our hands and we cry. And we cry a cry so deep. It's as if our heart is breaking. And then third, in verse 26, it says, May fail. Let me repeat the whole thing. My flesh and my heart may fail. Now the Hebrew word translated may fail is kala. However, it does not mean may fail. It means fail. It means come to an end. It means exhausted of resources. There is no may implied in this Hebrew verb. It simply means my flesh and my heart fail. So the psalmist is saying it's over. I'm done. I'm out of gas. I am at my wit's end. Oh, but every Sabbath, where is he? He's up in front of the people of God. And he's got the smiley face on. And he's leading in worship. And he finally comes to a point where he's got to put pen to paper and say, I can't take it anymore. I can't pretend to be something I'm not. Because I'm not. I'm just downright miserable inside. You know what? This is Christian life. No happy face. Oh, but there's an answer. Isn't that good news?
Please understand why I'm speaking on this subject. I'm talking about real life. We can't put a happy face on the Christian life. There is joy in the Lord, ladies and gentlemen. And in fact, the Bible commands us to be joyful in him. But there's also pain. In fact, the struggle with pain is what many of the Psalms are all about. Many Christians really don't understand the intent of what are called the Psalms of Lament. Principally, they point us to Christ. That's the first meaning of the Psalms of Lament. They point us directly to Christ. And I'll have a little bit more to say about that in just a moment. But secondarily, they're in your Bible to say that it's okay to hurt. Listen to me this morning. You do not need to feel like a second-class Christian because you hurt. God made you. He knows your limitations. Jesus said, in the world you have tribulation, but rejoice, for I have overcome the world. Tribulation is like being in a press. It's like the life sometimes being squeezed out of you. But Asaph comes in and he knows that everybody's looking at him. And if his knees begin to wobble just a little bit, someone's going to point the finger and say, Oh, that man doesn't have enough faith. Because if he had enough faith, he wouldn't be hurting like this. In fact, all the psalms of lament merge as we see Jesus on the cross when the pain of the perfect God-man was so obvious. So as one who knows human suffering, Jesus is powerful to walk you through the valley of hurt and suffering and to bring you out by his grace. Hebrews 2.18 says this. Listen carefully this morning. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able. Focus right there. He is able. Again, he is able this morning to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Tempted to do what? Look over at that long crooked finger in the corner at the bones over there and say, I'm going there. Give up. To say, I'm checking out. Even this preacher has had his moments. And after a bout of despair, some years ago, I wrote a song based on this psalm. I'm a musician as well, a writer of some songs. The song is called, Who Have I? Permit me if you would, to share just some of the words. Surely God is good to all who call his name. Never-changing Savior brought back from the grave, reigning high above, powerful to save. When my heart is lonely, life is fleeting by. When I'm torn and senseless, all seems like a lie. You are there beside to hold me by the hand my right hand. 
Then the chorus. Who have I in heaven but you? And on earth there's none I desire. Though my heart and flesh often fail, you're always the strength of my heart. Who have I in heaven but you? You're the shield, the light of the world, so I'll tell of all of your works, of what you have done for my soul. And then there's verse 2 and the chorus and a bridge and the chorus. So every once in a while, you got to put pen to paper. Maybe you're not a musician. But you can write, you can think, you can keep a journal. You can put your thoughts down. Maybe it's time to get real. Don't you think? Why don't we just finally say, let's just take a breath. Let the facade drop. Go ahead and cry. Let the tears roll all the way out to Blanding if we have to. Because we've got to give up the happy face. It ain't working. It ain't working. Because we're not going to go up until we finally go all the way down. And we admit what we are. We admit who we are. We admit the pain that we're in. Well, this brings us to the answer. Faith on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Verse 25. Who have I in heaven but you? And the last part of verse 26. Listen. But God. Oh, I love that. Remember that in the New Testament? Where do you hear that? Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love by which he loved us. Even when we were dead. And verse 28. I have made the Lord God my refuge. All three verses are simply different ways to articulate saving faith on our Lord. So here's this man. The cork is pulled out of the bottom of his life. His heart and his flesh are depleted. Yet he says, perhaps with his last breath, my physical strength may be gone. My heart is almost dead. But you know what? My strength is not my source. My heart is not my source. I have another strength. I have another source. I have a portion. I have a refuge. And it's not on earth. I can search the heavens. And not even find my strength in the warrior angels. Who have I in heaven but you? There it is. There it is. And I'm telling you, there are mornings where if I don't find you by 9 o'clock, I'm not going to make. But of course, faith on what? As we go through many of these verses, we find the all-sufficient gospel of Jesus Christ. We see the jeering of his persecutors. Verse 11, they say, how does God know? And is their knowledge with the Most High? Ha, ha, ha. We see his sufferings for the punishment due us for our sins. Verse 14, and I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. We see the cross. 
where he died for our sins. Verse 21, and I was pierced within. Isaiah said he was pierced for our transgressions. While Jesus hung upon the cross, the Roman soldier took that sword, put it right into his side, and water and blood flowed out. Blood that heals us of our sins and heals us from all that is the cause of our despair. And his resurrection is foretold. This is our hope. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He lives. He's not in that pile of bones. You know what he did? He went through the despair. He went through the press. And the devil pointed his long crooked finger over in that corner of Doubting Castle and said, you're going to be in those bones. But he said, no, I came to go to those bones. And so he went over there and he lied there for three days in those bones. And guess what? Death could not hold him. Death, where is thy sting? Where is thy power? And he rose and he crushed those bones and all those who have faith upon him shall rise again. Everybody's in despair. But guess what? Only you, only you can look to him. Who am I? In heaven. But you. And finally, we're told to tell of his mighty deeds, verse 28. But as for me, <laughs> but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Now he's going to go and he's going to tell others. What did Jesus say in his post-resurrection appearance? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations and lo, I will be with you always even until the end of the age. You say, well, I'm not a trained evangelist. But you know what you can do? You can use the despair that you have been through and the salvation in the midst of it, to find others who have been in despair themselves and to help them, to minister to them how it is that the gospel ministered to you so that they too now can find. I'm not talking about going door to door and knocking and saying we're from this church or that church and we want to, and I'm just saying whether there's people in the world, there are people in despair. What did the Apostle Paul say? Who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So, as the new year approaches, with all the parties and the dropping of the ball, all the fun and the merriment, maybe you did not expect this message. But maybe it's the word of God 
you needed to hear today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this.